Well, good morning, church. If your house was burning, what would you grab on your way out the door? Well, that age-old question intrigued photographer Forrest Huntington, so he gathered his must-save belongings and took a picture. He then launched a website called The Burning House, asking others to answer that question with photos of personal items that people would grab on their way out the door. And within a year, Huntington received thousands of photos from around the world that captured people's answer to the burning house question. Here are a few of the items people said they'd grab if their house caught on fire. I mean, you'd expected, uh, which was on there, the iPhone and the wallet and the purse and the photographs. But here's some other things that they said they would grab. One person said, I would grab one husband, one son, and three cats. Someone else said, I would grab my dog, baby Val, and treats for him, and my husband, Larry, and treats for him. Someone said they'd grab the film, The Princess Bride, on Blu-ray. That's a good choice. Someone else said they had a few packs of favorite green tea in case I'm thirsty. Someone else said I'd, I'd grab an overdue library book for fear of what would happen if I couldn't return it. Someone else said they would grab a house key on their way out if their house was burning. I'm just not sure how that's going to help. And then someone else said, I would grab flip-flops, a bathing suit, and a skirt, because if my house burns down, I'm going to the beach. Now, that's a good perspective. When Foster Huntington first launched the website, he was a fashion designer in New York City. And he said this, he said, I was surrounded by a culture interested in definition by possessions. But now, he says, having interacted with thousands of people's responses, it has helped me to realize that I needed a lot less to be happy. What do you need to be happy? What do I need? What do you need to be satisfied? That's the question on the table this morning. We have been in the uh, book of Proverbs this summer. And over the last few weeks, our focus has been on specific topics that are splattered throughout the various Proverbs. And we'll finish our time in Proverbs next week as we address the subject of friendships before moving on to a series in James. But this morning, I invite you to turn with me in the book of Proverbs to chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Now, earlier this summer... We looked at Proverbs chapter 3, and at that time, my focus was really on the first eight verses. Well, today I want to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, and say right up front, I was influenced by Tim, a, a Tim Keller sermon and my own preparation for this message, specifically some of his thoughts around Proverbs 3. But my first heading for this morning, coming from our title of the sermon, is Two Great Tests. Heading number one, two great tests, and asking the question, what are they? What are the two great tests? All right, Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. 
It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, these two verses obviously speak to the wealthy, the successful, the prosperous. See, a sound financial strategy begins with honoring God. All right, now I'm going to read the next two verses. Follow along with me here. Now, first pass, it may not seem that verses 11 and 12 are are, are related at all to verses 9 and 10, but I believe there's a connection. All right, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Those God loves, he disciplines. Discipline suggests pain. Discipline is pain for the sake of the person. Discipline is different than punishment. Punishment often is payback. It's it's often given for my sake. I can feel better if that person is punished for what they are doing. God disciplines us. Pain for our sake. So those, those, so those painful times come into my life because God loves me. Do I believe that? C.S. Lewis said it this way, to say, Lord, don't let anything bad happen to me is really a way of saying, Lord, don't love me. It's worth pondering. Well, in these four verses here in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, Here's the connection now. There are two particular common experiences that test whether you are in spiritual danger or in a moment of spiritual opportunity. They are tests. If you pass the test, you will wise up. If you fail the test, you become more like a fool. Okay, what are the two tests? Test number one, how will you handle prosperity and success? Verses 9 and 10. Will you honor God with it? That's the first test. The second great test is how will you handle adversity and suffering? Will you learn and, and grow from it, or will you despise and resent it? Verses 11 and 12. Two great tests in life. And if you're a wise person in times of prosperity, you'll be wiser. If you're a foolish person, prosperity will bring out the worst in you. Success will be your ruin. Success is bad for you if you do not know how to manage it well. Now, adversity on the other side here, the adversity can also bring out the worst in you as it reveals who you really are. It's, it likely will even reveal the idols in your heart. But if you can handle trouble, then you'll be wiser, you'll be on the path to being more like Christ. And so these two tests, these two experiences, success and suffering, bring out things from your heart that you didn't know was there. In success or in suffering, you may see things in yourself that you never thought you were capable of. These are two great tests. All right, now look with me at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. I want you to go there. If you have your Bibles, they will be on the screen as well. But Proverbs chapter 30. I'm going to flesh this out some more here of these two great tests. We're told 
uh, in Proverbs 30, that these are the sayings of Agur. Now, if you don't know where Agur is, you're in good company. He isn't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. We can safely say that Agur was a wise man in that day. We can see the wisdom in his prayer. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. Now, kind of as a side note here, but, but, but important, as far as I can tell, it is the only prayer that shows up in Proverbs. It's the prayer of Agur. All right, what's he asking for? What is his life goal for as long as he shall live? Follow along, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. One, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. All right, he makes two requests here. One has to do with truthfulness. And we looked at that uh, subject a couple of weeks ago. It's the second request here that serves our purposes for this morning. What's his second request? His prayer is that he'll never go broke nor ever be rich. Why does he pray this way? Because both are dangerous and can come with temptations. They're, They're two great tests. In your success, you can become puffed up and so see no need of God. We, we can start taking credit for it, right? That happens. You, you taste success and you start thinking, you know, I, I, I do work harder than others. You know, I am smarter than other people. I'm, I'm where I am today because I fill in the blank. You, you, you start to forget God. That's a real spiritual danger when it comes to prosperity and success. Okay, now in adversity, you can become bitter, you can become angry at God, you can fall into self-pity. Under stress, the worst can come out, right? We, see, we start to see selfishness and pride. It's a real spiritual danger when it comes to poverty and adversity. But see, either way, and living in overabundance or in poverty, the temptation is to forget God. The former, forget God and that there's no sense of a need for God's help. And the latter, and the sense of acting in desperation, forgetting that God promises to provide. See, there are, there are temptations on either side of these rags or riches that we have to be aware of. Now, the truth is, the truth is for most of us, that throughout life, we will experience both on some level. There will be times when things go our way, and there will be times when nothing goes our way. How will you handle it in either case? Two great tests. All right, now let me give you two guiding truths. Two guiding truths. We're answering the question, how can we pass these tests? How can we pass these tests? What is it that will help us pass the tests? Tests, well, two truths to live by. First of all, live our days in dependence on the Lord. That's the first guiding truth for us. If we're going to pass the test, live our days in dependence on the Lord. Now, again, the prayer of Agur helps. Look with me again back at the middle of verse 8. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, here it is. But give me only my daily bread. How do we pass the test of success or suffering, of prosperity or adversity? 
Well, Hagar's humble plea is to remain dependent on the Lord. He says, give me, or better translated, feed me only my daily bread. Jesus taught his disciples to pray that. Now, I love Hagar's self-awareness here. His honesty is refreshing. His concern was if he had too much, he knew himself well enough that he would be in spiritual danger of disowning God. And he knew himself well enough to see the other side of that coin to poverty and the danger of dishonoring the Lord in some way. And so the cry of his heart, the great desire that prompts such a prayer is that Agar wanted to honor God as long as he shall live. Is that, is that our greatest desire? He's praying that nothing would get in the way of his dependence on the Lord. This is where we need to be, right here. What does it really boil down to? Trusting God. Trusting God to give us what we need. That if God chooses to bless us with much, let's not forget him and that it was God who has done it. If God chooses to bring hardship in my life and pain in my life, trust that, that God will take care of me. He'll take care of us in that time. It's an issue of trust. You know, often our attitude is like the little girl who was given $2 by her dad. He wanted to teach her, his daughter about stewardship, so he instructed her to give one of the dollars to God and the other dollar he, she could keep and spend any way she wanted. And so she was given two dollars, literally. The girl agreed that she would do that and asked if she could go to the candy store, which was right nearby, and, and she had a candy there that she could buy with her one dollar bill. So she, she happily made her way to the store with the one dollar in one hand and the other dollar in the other hand. And she was skipping along to the store. She tripped and she fell. And, and when she did, she dropped one of the dollar bills and immediately it blew away into, and fell into a storm drain at the curb. I mean, it, it was gone. That one dollar bill was gone. Well, she, she picked herself up. She looked at the dollar bill in her hand. She only had one left. And then, and, then, and then she said, you know, saw the other one, it's gone, it's in the storm drain. She looked at the one dollar in her hand and she said, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. <laughs> there goes your dollar. Isn't that the rub for us right there? Things are going well or things are going against me. Can I trust God? He knows what I need. That, that when tough times hit, whose dollar is forfeited? All right, that's yours, Lord. I still got mine, though. See, we struggle to believe that God will really take care of us. Often our decisions around money are fear-driven rather than faith-based. Now, let me just pause here for a second. I did it first, so I'm going to do it again in a second. Is I want to thank you, church, the several of you who are committed to giving to this church. Many who are generous and giving to very specific things in our church. But along the way here in the last year and a half, two years, hasn't always been easy. And, and yet several of you have said, no, this is what I chose to give to the Lord and give to the church, and I'm going to continue to do that. I thank God for you. 
I thank God for you. Thank you for being faithful in your giving. Because it's hard to do that when one of our dollars goes down the drain. Am I going to keep giving to what God has, has put in my heart to give? Well, I live in that de- place of dependence to live on, for him and to him in dependence upon him every single day. Will I do that? And do you know what we discover in that place of, of dependence on the Lord? The sweetness of contentment. Now, does contentment come easy to you? <laughs> it doesn't for me. I'm with the Apostle Paul when he says, I am learning the secret of contentment. I am learning it. I'm still learning it. And I have a long way to go. Contentment. Contentment with whatever is my lot in life. Contentment in the seasons when things are going well and contentment in the seasons when things are going bad. It's a matter of perspective. What do I need to be satisfied? Look with me at Proverbs 15 for a moment. It really speaks to this idea of contentment. Proverbs 15, verses 16 and 17. Proverbs 15, verse 16. It says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf. (laughs) A nice juicy steak with hatred. Better is this better? What's better? Contentment with what we have been given. What God has given me is better than what I think would make my life more satisfied. And often a thought that leads us away from contentment is that I would be better off with more or I would be better off with what someone else has. Envy disrupts my contentment. There was this workshop in Pittsburgh with uh, 200 pastors, 200 pastors in attendance. And the conference speaker was addressing the problem with greed and selfishness in the church today, and it was really resonating with the pastors as they felt that a great deal of the church's ineffectiveness was due to people not giving enough to the church. The speaker then asked a seemingly innocent question. He asked, is it possible for a person to build a house so large that it's sinful in the eyes of God? Raise your hand if you think so. And all 200 pastors raised their hands. (laughs) Okay, the speaker continued. Then can you tell me exactly what size... The precise square footage, a certain house becomes sinful to occupy. (laughs) And there was complete silence in the room. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. So the speaker asked again, tell me, when does a certain house become sinful to occupy? And finally, a quiet voice spoke up from one of the pastors in the back of the room, and he said, when it's bigger than mine. Right? When it's bigger than mine. That's that's the issue. See, the great thief that steals our, our, our contentment is envy. There's something really deep in the human heart that looks at people that more than you do and says, how much happier I would be if I had what they have. I would be happy if, I would be satisfied if. What do I need to be satisfied? 
It's there that you find peace for the restless soul. As, as Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's rhyming ideas there. It's a contrast. Contrast between envy and peace, envy and contentment. It's better to pray, give me my daily bread. Teach me to live, Lord, in, in daily dependence on you. All right, that's one guiding truth. The second guiding truth to live by is do as much good with what we have been given as we can. Do as much good with what we have been given as we can. See, whether you're in a time of prosperity and success or adversity and suffering, do as much good with what we have been given as we can. All right, look at me at Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. I invite you to turn there to Proverbs 11. We're going to look at verse 24. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. It says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Church, listen. Being generous isn't about amounts. It's about attitude. Is your attitude one of giving freely or holding on as tightly as you can? Now, generosity doesn't mean you just throw your money all over the place. No, no, no. That's not being a good steward. But generosity does enable you to participate in God-sized things that, that yields an, an amazing return. Have you noticed the happiest people are generous people? Well, we're told that in Acts 20. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, A generous man will himself be blessed, happy, satisfied. Now, as Americans, in our culture, we have been told that in order to be happy, in order to be satisfied, we must think in terms of getting. So we collect, we gather, we hoard. It is get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. <laughs> That's the philosophy. And we wonder why life is so unsatisfying and unrewarding. I mean, if happiness was found in material things, then as a country, we should be deliriously happy. Are we? I saw a bumper sticker that said, money isn't everything, but it's a long way ahead of whatever is in second place. <laughs> We've bought that. We're product of that. Now go with me to Proverbs 20, 23. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Because it reminds us here of the temporary nature of money and that it cannot ultimately satisfy. Proverbs 23. Verse 4, Proverbs 23, verse 4. It says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Now, I find this rather interesting, that what is on the back of our dollar bill? It's an eagle with its wings stretched out. 
Now, I realize it's the great seal of the United States, but I think it's appropriate. Cast but a glance at a dollar bill, and it's gone, for it surely will sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. It sure does. See, one way or another, it's going away. One way or another. So Proverbs tells us, wise up by using what we've been given for the good of others and for God's kingdom. Now, it's right here that we ask a very common question. Now, if you know, if you know me over the last six years, it's, it's, it's rare that I'm preaching on this subject. Right? When it's there in the passage, I'm going to preach on it. I'm committed to doing that. And it's here, it's here in Proverbs to speak on this whole area of money and possessions and how we satisfies in these things. But whenever I talk about this, the question comes up, Pastor, how much do I give away? And we start thinking that giving has to do with percentages. No, no, it has very little to do with percentages. I mean, if you want to start in your giving and thinking 10%, fine. But it isn't about dutiful, mathematical obedience. We've missed the point. Giving your your 10% isn't what sets you free. What sets us free from the hypnotic spell of money and the power of possessions is God's wisdom that expresses itself in generosity. All right, got to go to the New Testament now. I got to go to the New Testament here. Go Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Yeah, I want you to listen to these words of the Apostle Paul, and I can't dig into all that's here. It's a subject for another time, but, but you find something very interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 goes along with what we're studying here in Proverbs, verses 6 and 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, do you hear what this is saying? What is the New Testament principle for giving? You decide. You decide. I mean, isn't that amazing? God says, this is what I have given you. You are under grace. You decide how much to give. But what you give, give cheerfully. Give as as an act of faith and in honor of the Lord. Now, this is where the gospel comes in right here. The greatest incentive for giving generously is the gospel. Okay? We go earlier now. Paul speaks of it, of this generosity in chapter 8. So go back one one page here to chapter 8, verse 9. This is where the gospel enters in here. This is the greatest incentive for giving generously. generously. It's not me banging on the pulpit. It's not telling you how how much we're short in, in our budget for the year. That's not the best motivation. Here it is. Chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, that you through his poverty might become rich. How does Paul motivate for generosity? He shows us Jesus. He gave freely for us all of it. He had the glories of heaven, the riches of heaven, and he came down to this humble earth to be a servant in order to die for you. He gave it all away. (laughs) That's our motivation. 
What are you giving away? And is it risky to give away freely like that? Absolutely is. There was, there was this man, perhaps you heard the story, he was lost in the desert and he was dying for, for, for a drink of water and he, he stumbles upon an old shack. And as he glanced around, he saw this pump about 13 feet away and it was an old rusty water pump. He grabbed the handle of this water pump and began to pump up and down and up and down and, and, and nothing came out. He then noticed off to the side uh, uh, the, an old jug and he, and he looked at this jug and he wiped away the dirt and the dust and he, and he read a message that was attached to it and it said, you have to prime the pump with the water in this jug. P.S., be sure to fill the jug again before you leave. Well, the man popped the cork out of the jug and sure enough, this, this water jug was full of water. And suddenly he was faced with a dilemma. If he drank the water, he could satisfy his immediate thirst. But if he poured all the water into the pump, maybe it would yield fresh, cool water from down deep in the well, all the water he wanted. What should he do? Pour all, it all into the pump and take a chance on fresh, cool water? Or drink what was in the old jug and ignore it, its message? Well, reluctantly, he poured all the water of that jug into the pump. He grabbed the handle. He, he began to, to, to pump, squeak, squeak, squeak. No, nothing happened. He did it again, squeak, squeak, squeak. And a, and a little bit began to dribble out. And then a small, uh, a small stream. Then finally it gushed out. To his relief, fresh, cool water poured out of this rusty pump. So eagerly, he filled his jug, and, and he drank from it, and he, and he filled this jug a second time, and, and once again, he drank its refreshing contents, and then he filled the jug for the next traveler, popped the cork back on, and added the note to the note that was already there, and it said this, believe me, it really works. You have to give it all away before you can get anything back. We are faced with those kind of options every single day? Do we settle for something ordinary by keeping it to ourselves, or do we give it away and really live? Do we simply drink from an old jug of water, or do we find true refreshment by giving it away? A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So do as much good with what we have been given as we can. Notice, as we've been given. There was this preacher who paid a visit to a farmer, and he asked the farmer, if you had $1,000, would you give $500 to God? Sure would, said the farmer. I'd be glad to do that. Okay, preacher went on. If you had 50 cows, would you give 25 cows to the Lord? I'd be glad to, the farmer replied. Okay preacher said, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? And the farmer replied, hey, pastor, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> See where that's going? You know, it's easy to say, if I had a million dollars, if I won the lottery, I'd give it all away. I'd give a whole bunch of it away. It's easy to say that. It's easy to give God what we don't have. The real challenge comes when the Lord asks us to give out of what we have. You got two of those? Give one up. What? 
do as much good as we can with what we have been given. See, two great tests of prosperity and adversity. Will you pass the test? Whether we're in time of prosperity right now and success, or, or maybe in a time of adversity and suffering, what way do we need to wise up to giving ourselves to what really, really matters? One day, there was this very successful, wealthy man who was sitting on the beach, and he noticed these two children uh, building this, this elaborate sandcastle near the edge of the water. I mean, it was, it was quite the deal. I mean, it had walls and, and gates. It had towers and passageways. It had a, had a moat running around. It was all filled with water. I mean, it was a beautiful piece of work, this sandcastle. Just as they were putting on the finishing touches, a big wave came in from the ocean, crashed onto the beach, washed over their castle, and then slid into the ocean, leaving behind nothing but a pile of wet sand. The man watching this thought to himself, oh no, these kids are going to burst into tears. But they didn't. Instead, laughing and holding hands, they ran up the shore away from the water, and they sat down. They built another sandcastle. And the successful man, he drew this conclusion. He said, these children taught me a very important lesson. All the things in our lives, all the complicated structures we spend so much time and energy creating are built on sand. Only our relationships to others endure. And sooner or later... Sooner or later, he says, the wave will come along and knock down what we have worked so hard to build. And when that happens, only the person who has somebody's hand to hold will be able to laugh. And we're going to be looking at the importance of friendships next week. But suffice it to say here, here's my question. What are you working so hard on to build? What am I working so hard on to build? And will it hold up to those times when life comes crashing in on you? What are we building that will continue into eternity? Let's pray. Lord, in some ways, we only scratch the surface of all that Proverbs mention the entire word addresses this matter of um, possessions and finances and how to handle it and how to earn it. And uh, there's a lot to say to us in very practical terms that, that we didn't really touch on this morning. But I pray, God, that the, the main thing that we need to hear of this message would, would, would resonate with us, would strike a chord in us, would touch some area in our life right now that we just kind of need to take another look at. Because, Lord, I believe that in most cases in this room, our desire is not to build and pour all energy into that which is just going to be a washed away sometime, but rather to build and lay up those treasures in heaven. So, God, help us to know what that looks like this week in our lives and where we need to, to really buckle down and think about what it means to trust you. I pray we would understand that trust. It's to be within you, what you've given us.
to trust you with all of our lives. May that be our desire. May we embrace it as we live our days this week. In Jesus' name, amen.